Genesis chapter 2. If you don't have your, your Bible with you, raise your hand. We've got people like Toby and Landon that will more than happily give you one. Uh, again, Genesis chapter 2 should be easy to find. Genesis is your second, uh, first book of the Bible, second chapter now. Genesis means beginning. Chapter 1 set our stage. And again, I want to remind you where we were as we looked at this. God, again, as if He were laying out some beautiful epilogue before us, shows us from broad pan these things that leave these beautiful little holes that set us on quests. If you remember, first of all, we're introduced to a character and his name is Elohim. Elohim is plural. Elocha would be individual. Anything with an I am in the end of it in, in Hebrew traditionally is going to be plural. And so we meet this character 32 different times in chapter 1. His name is going to be mentioned. And there's a part of me already that I'm starting to look and think, okay, this guy's sort of a plural individual. Second one, and just the first two words, that's how this whole thing starts. In the beginning, God created. And it tells us how He does it. He does it with words. And, and if any one of us, again, trying to enter into this without prejudice is a very difficult thing. But here we are, trying to enter into the Scripture without... 16 leagues and volumes on this person's impression and this person's impression and this expertise and this guy who did this thing and this guy who wrote six books on it and so forth. And I'm just trying to think, what if somebody who just lived in another world, you know, kind of, in, you know, somewhere on a planet, or I should say that's weird, but I mean an island somewhere, you know, having no real sort of interplay with just about anyone, all of a sudden opens up this book like God intended without 16 journals and commentaries and books and tapes and DVDs and just opened it up, what would he get out of it? And what he kind of get is, I'm trying to read it as if I didn't have all of that other stuff laid out. And I get this idea that there's this guy and he creates and he does it with words. And already I'm thinking, why words? Why didn't he just, just think of, and if it comes. But there's this interesting thing that somehow God's word plays into all of this creation. But he starts sending things out with these little, hmm, that's strange. Pan's creation now from the wide, and he goes and he moves in, he, moves in, he invents time first with, uh, from dark to light, and again he separates it with this idea that there's darkness and light, and this is somehow time is going to be, all time will be gauged by darkness moving to light, and then in that he invents his home, and again everything with a word, and this home is a strange thing, because now I'm in, introduced to something else as I look through this chapter, because he looks and he makes and it's good, and he looks and he makes and it's good, and he makes and it's good, and he makes this place where he's going to live in between water and water, Water, where he splits it in half, there he is, he's going to live there, and it's the one thing he doesn't call good. And I think, well, that's strange. And again, he sets this cool little quest to set me on with that. From that, he'll make the land, and he'll bless the animals that he'll put on that land. And then he has this strange little board meeting in chapter 1, where he speaks and says, let us make man in our own image. And again, here I am filled with questions, which is exactly a beautiful way to start anything, that if I could be drawn into this character and like this character, I'm going to want to know more about him. And I realize that somewhere in all of this, there's this broad pan, and it's just this darkness and this expanse and this abyss, and he makes light and he makes time, and then he makes his place, and then he makes he starts gathering the stuff underneath it, and there's this place, and it moves in, and there's animals, and he moves in, and boom, there's going to be a man. And you kind of see God's like, I made this. This, this is cool, I made this, I made this, this is good, I made this, this is good, but this is my masterpiece. 
And I know that because chapter 2, through the rest of the book, isn't going to focus on aquatic creatures. It isn't going to focus on birds. It's not going to focus on cattle and creeping things on the earth. It's not going to focus on stars or a sun and a moon or for that matter, even heaven, though it's mentioned more than 500 times in text. It's going to focus on this creation and it's interfacing with the Creator. The entire book is going to be about that. And everything else becomes peripheral. And if it doesn't become peripheral, this book will appear much more laborious. And that's what happens a lot of times when you treat love like math. Because ultimately what happens is you forget what this is all about. It's interesting, when we get to the end of the book, it ends with this idea that this God's going to set up this place, destroy all this stuff that separates him, and it says, and we'll dwell together for eternity. It starts with God making this guy, and he makes this guy, and he's like, okay, here we are, I'm going to take the day off. And then he ends with this idea that we get to spend eternity together. You kind of get the idea, that's God's intent. Everything in between is how in the world they work this whole thing out to get to this point. So how is it we look at the thing and we're thinking, oh, but the history and the, these points and these, all, the, well, the, all this other stuff is cool, but it's peripheral. Because the entire thing panned in and the music crescendos and, the, and the, 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 the temple picks up and the temple picks up and then boom, here's God's masterpiece and this, it's a guy. And he says, let's make man in our own image. And all of a sudden I get this really strange idea. Why in the world is God having this conversation? Strange enough that he speaks and things come to pass. We can see the, excuse me, him being intentional in his creation. We can see that everything came with a plan, with an intent. We can see that God's word must play into the entire invention as a whole. The word is fundamental for things to come to be. And then in all of that, though at least I could kind of see that we could, you know, it's for anything else that were to be watching, or at least me to be reading it, I look and go, well, okay, he spoke it, I get the point in this. He's not kind of, oh, wow, how did that happen? Everything was intentional. But now all of a sudden he's having this conversation, let's make man like us. And there's a part of me that started to think, well, well, well God, this guy, Elohim, this 32 times mentioned, well, I'd like to know kind of what you're like. Because already I have my preconceived notions. I mean, some of them, he looks like Father Time, a mixture of Father Time and Papa Christmas, but with an attitude. <laughs> a bit grumpy. And, because after all, guys that look like that can be grumpy and he smites people. I mean, who smites people? That's got to be, a, I mean, grumpy people smite people, right? You know, and, and I start thinking, well, obviously that must be the case. Or, as his dad, I know what it's like to have to step in the middle of something and say, this, you ain't getting any closer than this. And I'll do whatever is necessary to keep you from my children. But that doesn't make me a bad man. To be honest, that makes me a good dad. A shepherd that watches the wolf come and says, Sorry, I'm not the smiting type. Go on in and have whatever you want. It's a buffet in there. (laughs) Makes him a really loving, put the sheep on his shoulders, but he has no sheep to put on his shoulders. By that point, all he has is lamb chops to put on his shoulders. Everything else has been dragged away. And I start to realize, well, wait a minute. Well, who is he according to text? How does he introduce himself? Well, he introduces himself by making all of this stuff and then says, well... You're going to have a hard time getting this, so why don't we make someone kind of like us? And there's these two terms, Salam and Damut. 
And salem um, is this idea of casting a shadow, something that would be there, because every Hebrew word comes from a verb. And then the second word, demuz, the, the idea of something that in somehow in character, something how in personal makeup, that there's going to be something unique about man, so that if I can get what is unique about man, I can discover what it is that's so darn special about God. Because God says, I'm going to make man different than everyone else. Let's make man, God speaking in us, that's him and God and God. And you go, well, how does that work out? Well, we'll see here in chapter 2. And in that God and God thing, all of a sudden there's this, we're going to make man so unique so that if we were to investigate and go, now what's weird about him? Now, not shot, and you can come up with your own decisions on that. <laughs> but what's, what's unique about this creation that if I really get it, I'll, I'll get God. I'll get the one thing that God really wants me to know about him. The first and foremost thing. It's interesting because what I'll learn is that God doesn't make man with an attitude, according to this text. It doesn't seem like it. Or he makes man with the idea that the first thing he's into is smiting. Or that the first thing he's into is, is, is being angry and calling down plagues and so forth. We won't get that until the next book. What we'll get here, though, we'll look at it with me. Chapter 2. It says this, verse 1, and we're concluding chapter 1. Thus the heavens and the earth and all the host of them were finished. And on the seventh day, God, well, he ended his work that he has done. And then he rested on the seventh day from the work in which he had done. Now, for what it's worth, the word rest in the Hebrew, it may be a word you might be familiar with. It's the word Shabbat. Shabbat is the word we get the word Sabbath from. And now we've been introduced to it here. God Sabbathed. As a matter of fact, he'll make special mention of it again. Next verse. God Sabbath. He finished what he did, so he Sabbathed. Now what does it mean that he Sabbathed? All I get at this point is, well, God was done, so we stopped. So he rested. Now, you kind of think, well, that's kind of a silly thing. If God's done, wouldn't I think he rested? I mean, if he stopped what he was doing, it's like saying like, well, you know, he finished what he was done. He was finished what he was doing, so he stopped. You're like, well, yeah, but it was more than just that he stopped. He rested. Now, to rest in the idea of this was to relatively to, to put yourself in a place of stillness, to put yourself in a place of lesser activity. So then I have to ask myself, well, why does he do this? Now, there's only two reasons I can think of. The first is the most obvious because I think of myself. I rest, well, when I haven't had enough caffeine. No, actually, when I'm tired. That's obviously an obvious reason to rest. So now I think, does this guy get tired? But there is another reason to rest, and it took me till 22 years ago to figure out this one. Well, you tell me which one it is, and I won't even say what it is yet. I'll just sort of prick your ears with that. We do read this, though, in verse 3. Then God rested again. He shabbated. Um, he, he said, and he blessed then all of a sudden. God blessed Barak, like the name of the president in America, Barak. Barak, he blessed the seventh day. And I started thinking, well, wait a minute. He blessed two things before this, if you remember. He blessed animals. His blessing for them was to be fruitful. He blessed man, which he blessed with... And by the way, for what it's worth in chapter 1, he didn't bless until there was a man and a woman, according to the text. And what he blessed the, this marriage with was fruitfulness and authority. I use that a lot when I speak about couples who are getting married. The idea that when God blesses your marriage, it's going to have two things. It's going to be fruitful, which means you will have more influence on the world around you than it will on you. And it will have authority. 
the things that could actually take over you, that can overcome you, that could get a handhold on you. To be honest, you as a couple, you team up against those things and you watch those things go down because God gave you authority. But God never gives authority without purpose. And that's, that's cruel to the rest of the world around you. But he gives authority so that you can accomplish the thing he set before you to do. So I understand the idea. There's a blessing and it was fruitfulness. God spoke it, be fruitful. That's what he said to the animals. Or at least he said it as if that was the case. And then he says, then it would be blessed man and woman. And he said, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it and have dominion over it. But then it tells us here that he, he blessed this day. And there's a part of me that thinks, well, that's weird. I think of day as an inanimate thing. But this is a day when God is resting. And I think, well, what's the commonality? Somehow in this day, is there fruitfulness in this blessing? And I think there's fruitfulness when he blessed this. There was fruitfulness when he blessed this. And now he gives me this day. Is there fruitfulness in this? Strange fruitfulness and resting? That seems like a strange thing. I mean, I always equate, because I live in a fallen world like you, fruitfulness comes from hard work. And so it completely flies in the face of what I naturally know in my paradigm for productivity, which is work hard, put some elbow grease into it, something's going to come out of it. And he tells me here, well, wait a minute, there's this blessing on a day that God basically just chose to chill? I mean, if we could put it in contemporary terms, God chillaxed. And God chillaxed, and when God chillaxed, what happened? There was, he blessed it. It's like, yeah, this day, this is it, chillax day. Now, verse 4, because it says then, the reason he blessed it is because he rested, Shabbated, from all the work in which God had created and made. Two words, and again, we're familiar with bara, that's the first, the second word, asah, and that's the word for just making something happen. You made it. Now, with that then, verse 4, something strange happens. Up to this point now, 32, three more times, that's 35 times we've met this guy named Elohim, this character, this entity. But notice in verse 4, we have a new name. Have you seen that? Now, there are some, believe, well, you'll believe it, I'm sure, and not because I said it, but because you've probably been, you've lived in the world long enough. There are people that are out there that just say, well, this is obviously written by somebody new because there's a brand new character that stepped onto it. There was this God in the first book, in the first chapter, in the, first, the next three verses. Then there's this Lord God in verse 4. Well, I appreciate the fact that he's addressed as if he was a different character. Is he a different character? Perhaps. I don't have a problem with that. I would say then the Father was the, what, it was, was what we had in chapter 1. All of a sudden, Jesus steps in here in verse 4. I'm okay with that. But might I just say, at least, whether it be that we're actually separately addressing individuals here, or whether it just be there's a different title to it, it makes perfect sense to me. Because up to chapter 2, verse 3, everything has been about God and His relationship over all of his creation. But now starting in verse 4, we get God's relationship with his creation because now somebody's got a will. I mean, he makes stars, he makes planets, he makes land, he makes asparagus, he makes an armadillo, he makes an aardvark, two A's or not, and he makes all of these things. None of it really appears to have much of a will in all of that. He's just creator, he's God. And I can look at it and say, he's God. But it's interesting, now that the will of an, an individual with a will and a choice to be made is played into it, God now is more than just God. He's the Lord God. As a matter of fact, when we get to the book of Leviticus, God's just going to tell us stuff that until you're a parent, it may not make sense to you. Because he'll say, do this, this is the way it's done, I'm the Lord. Do this, this is the way it's done, I'm the Lord. 
Now, if you're a parent, you know, sometimes you turn to your children and you say, I need you to clean your room or something. And they'll say, why? And your response is, because I'm your dad. I don't, do you need more than that? Do I have to give you a five bullet point thing on why it is that, well, you understand an untidy room creates more possible havoc. And that second law of thermodynamics plays and you just might hurt yourself. And you might say something like, because you're driving your mother crazy when she walks in your room. But the truth is, sooner or later, you just don't have the time to sort of lay all that. And you say, I'm your dad, just do it. Because somehow in that, there's authority over someone with a will. And the same way there's authority over someone with a will, now God is introducing himself as the one who has authority over the person who has a will. What a cool thing for a person who's going to make a dumb choice with the first thing he's got a choice in. (laughs) Somehow in that, he's still going to be Lord. I mean, by the end of this book, one thing's for sure, every single knee is going to drop. If Satan's got a knee, his is dropping. If any demon's got a knee, his is dropping. Every human being's got a knee, they're going to drop. And even if you were born without knees, I have a feeling he'll give you them just for this. (laughs) But every knee will drop, and every tongue will confess that Jesus the Christ is Lord. Ultimately, there's going to be a day when every being in the universe is going to agree with you. I've heard it said, if every knee will bow... Beat the rush. Do it now. So, you don't have to quote me on that, although it sounds like something from a Hallmark card. Now, here we go. Let's start getting into specifics. Because God's like, now that I've laid out my thesis, I've laid out my epilogue, and you kind of get the idea of created, of created, created, boom, this is what I want you to focus on. Woo, woo, woo. Not this. This. Now watch how this works. Watch how we interplay. Watch how this whole thing comes about. Now, all of a sudden, I'm reading chapter 2 a different way. Because I'm not reading chapter 2 now, like, you know, like all of a sudden, it's just, there's this distant, obsequient, aloof watchmaker that kind of tosses everything and then sort of, for sport, gets a box seat, pulls it up and goes, well, let's see how this whole thing plays out now. I start to realize that somehow in all of this, there's a creation and a creator that has to interface if he's going to be Lord at all. And so we read this now. So this is the history of the heaven and the earth when they were created. On the day in which the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, before any plant in the field was on the earth, and before any herb of the field had grown, for the Lord God had not caused rain on the earth, nor was there a man to till the ground. But rather, a mist went up from the ground and watered the whole face of the ground. Okay, now, God has now laid out our scene. In this scene, God has his own sprinkler system. Have you noticed that? No rain yet. And he tells us the reason we don't have rain yet, because man's not on the scene. They think, well, what does man have to do with rain? Oh, we'll learn that soon, won't we? But in that, there's no man yet. There's no one to work the soil. And the word for till, for what it's worth, we'll talk about in a moment, is simply to spend your energy. So there's no one to really work it yet. There's no rain that has come, which, by the way, God has made really clear, which means when we get to Noah, one of the biggest issues of it is that the guy is going to tell the rest of the world around him that water is going to fall from the sky, and everyone in the world thinks that's the most ridiculous thing in the earth. And, you know, I mean, let's face it, if I were to say, I think chickens are going to fall from the sky, and they're all going to get pelted, you know, people are going to look at you and, And that's going to (laughs) happen. 
It's a sign. I mean, here's the idea. I mean, then people, and the reason people think you're dumb about it is because, well, that just doesn't happen. Chickens just don't fall from the sky. They can't even get off the ground to do that in the first place. You know, and you realize, is that a phone? I'm not sure if that, uh, oh, sweet. As long as it's not ours. Okay. Well, Boy, that's going to confuse someone on the radio when they hear this. All right, so let's get back to our point here, if I can remember what it was. Um, God is creating, and, and I mean, ultimately Noah's going to have to tell people water's going to fall down from the sky. But I want to remind you, when God actually made heaven, he split water from water. There was water above him, there was water below him. The water below him, he turned on into the earth and land. And the water above him, well, what in the world happened with that? We don't know, but perhaps a lot of it often fell and, well, we'll get there and when it's time. Here, on the other hand, what I read is this Lord God character now. This, and by the way, the word for Lord... Is four letters in the Hebrew, Yad, He, Vav, He. Perhaps you've heard of the tetragram. It is considered so holy today that just, you can't even pronounce the word. Actually, t- today, the Israelis that live there will call it Vashem, the name. And the reason is because they think the name is so holy, they'll just say the name. They won't even try to pronounce the name. They'll just say the name in replacement of it. They'll say, Baruch Hashem, bless the name, instead of bless God. That's the idea of that. Now, for what it's worth here, on the other hand, we kind of get the idea. As a matter of fact, they consider the name so holy that in the Talmud, which is a collection of Jewish traditions in about the 500s AD, they'll tell you, because I genuinely believe, by the way, one of the reasons they collected it is to try to disprove Jesus, but it makes it even goofier, because you have to believe something even more far-fetched. I mean, because what they said is that Jesus didn't do miracles, claimed to be the Son of God. The issue is how. Well, what they say, according to the Talmud, and I kid you not, is that Jesus, born of a Nazarene hairdresser, uh, was, was this guy that snuck into the Holy of Holies, found out how to pronounce this unpronounceable name, wrote it on a piece of paper, cut a slit into his side, popped it into that slit, and because of that he was able to do all these miracles. Now, wow, which one of those two do you want to believe? I'm thinking, wow, if that can happen, let's figure it out. Now, for what it's worth, back in reality, it tells us here that God had created this place and the water came up and rose the ground it landed on. And then in that it tells us, verse 7, everything starts to change. And it tells us that the Lord God, again, there's our Lord God character, who will be mentioned 11 times by name in this chapter, and it's only 25 verses. This Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground. Now, there's two things already I have to deal with here. The first is the uniqueness of his making. So, before this point, there was a God who just said, be, and it was. Be, and it was. Be, and it was. Now, all of a sudden, is that me? Wow, that's so strange. Okay, so, okay. (laughs) This is really going to be confusing when you're listening to it. There's some kind of strange sound going on in this building. All right. Um... (laughs) Back to a point. Okay, so up to this point, God said, light be, there was, or whatever the case, whatever the thing is, just it be, and it was. But strangely enough, now with man, he's not going to do that. He could have said, you know, he could have said, bara ish or ish bara, ish means man, or adam, which means man, as we have the term here, like Adam, it literally means man. Could have said, adam bara, barashit adam, created man. But instead, he actually makes them. And the word is itself. And it's an interesting term because it's the term that is used for a potter. 
The idea of a potter actually, it literally means to squeeze into place, which is kind of a fun thing. So God actually takes materials from this earth he's already created, and he starts squeezing them into place like a potter. What a crazy thing that is. So I'm going to use you for a second. Can I do that? Okay, here we go. Okay, come on over here, my friend, and just lay down over here for a second. Just go ahead and don't worry. The, the ground is about as clean as anything's going to be here. Yeah, go ahead. I'd like to introduce you to the moment to Adam. Okay? Now, I will be playing the role of God. I'm very well aware of the fact that I'm not God. I just want to make that really clear. Okay? We all want to make sure that I'm not trying somehow to build myself up into something strange. Someone's got to play the role. Oh, I volunteered. Okay. Now... And Lord, let me do it right. Okay, so God is going to form, and he's going to form this man. And so he's making this man out strange again. Before this point, everything is good. He could have said, man be. But now he's forming this man, squeezing him together. And as this is, and already I started to think, well, this is definitely unique. And again, I'm looking for the uniqueness in this character. I already know he exists because God mentioned him in the epilogue in chapter 1. Now all of a sudden I recognize that he's there. And I'm not going to do the next part for your sake because it will be infinitely more awkward. But look at what it says. It says, and then he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. You know, <laughs> Of course you do. Now, I do thankful that it doesn't say he breathed into his mouth. But let's just say, and it's interesting because there are different words. For what it's worth, there is a word that isn't used, the word barach. Uh, baruch, actually. Baruch is the, actually the term that is for, uh, ruach, I'm sorry. Ruach is the word for wind or for spirit. It's often used that way, or breath. And so we could have said he spirited in him the spirit. Now, actually, we're not going to actually hear that word. We already met the ruach in chapter 1 when it said the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the deep. So we already see this individual named ruach. And it'll interest. And the next time we'll see that word, strangely enough, is when it says God is walking in the cool of the garden. Literally, God is walking in the ruach or the wind or the spirit of the garden for whatever it's worth. Now, here, though, he's going to breathe. But it, the word is actually to blow. So that's actually not so bad. It's not like, right? Now... I know, a little strange, but walk, walk, work with me on this. So here we are now. We're in verse, what verse is this? You tell me, verse 7, right? We're in verse 7. Man is called man before he's alive. Did you notice that? We don't read, God made this form, breathed life into him, and then he became a man. He did. We don't read that, do we? What we read is, God made a man, but he wasn't alive yet, until God made contact with him and breathed life into him. Did you get that? It's a beautiful thing when we start to speak to people who actually believe the Tanakh, the Old Testament, because you can say, look at when was man a man? When was man alive? Which one of those two states are you in right now? Because you can be a man and not be alive. You can say, well, are you saying that I could be a not alive and be animated? Show me where it says that he was not animated yet. It just says he was a man. No, whether he was or not, let's just say he wasn't. But God has to breathe. And as he does, Adam becomes a living being. So his eyes open. Now imagine he's a grown man, because the term here is going to speak of him in his, his adulthood. He's a grown man, which means all of the information around him, he has to take in at one time and process. Imagine that. Have you ever done that? Where you're, you know, if you've ever like been on a, a boat or a ship or a train or whatever, and you really don't know, but you wake up, and you have lots of new information you have to process at one point. 
Or back in those bad old days when you used to do something like drink and you woke up and tried to figure out how you got back in your bed, hoping it was your bed, you know? Or what? How? What's this? This is a closet. What? How do you know? I mean, you're 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 scampering to try to find something to give you sort of level feet. Well, he's nothing. Is no frame of reference. So he opens his eyes. What's the first information he has to process? Think about this. God, that's the first information. He's no, stay there, stay there, don't move yet. He's the first information he has to process is. Whoever you are, you gave me life. That's the first thing he has to process. Think about this. The first factual information he gets is this. First fact. What if that was your first fact? Not white is white, black is black, dark is dark, light is light, ground is ground, sky is sky, math is math. You know, oh, and by the way, here's our version of history. What's the first thing you knew was? Whoever you are, you gave me life. Because whether you have said yes to Jesus or not, if you do, there was a day your eyes were open. And God's like, the first thing you have to get through is who gave you life. Because otherwise, the enemy would be like, well, here's what real life is. Check out this. This is shiny, six easy payments. Woo! This is the life! And there's some guy, and he's kind of real chubby, and he's sitting there, and he cracks open a beer, and girls in bikinis jump out of the, out of the television set, and he's like, oh, this is the life. And God's like, what? This is what I'm competing with, and you're buying that? I gave you life. The first thing, I gave you life. I gave you life. You weren't living until I gave you life. And he breathes life into him. No, stay there for a second. Look at verse 8. And the poor guy, he'll never come back to church again. He's thinking, man, I got the best seat in the house. I got to lay down. You won't be sleeping, trust me. All right. Verse 8, it says, The Lord God planted a garden eastward in Chedden, Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. All right, Bible students, you don't have to be brilliant. Enter into it without prejudice. What came first? The man or the garden? What came first? What came first? Boom! What verse is man in? What verse is the garden in? You've been taught wrong in your cartoons. <laughs> Let's face it, that's where we get our doctrine from. We see this guy and, and there he comes to be and goes, woohoo, and he's like, woohoo, I'm like, and I'm gonna jump up and be in kind of positions where leaves will hide me or whatever, you know, because after all, this is a children's thing, it's a cartoon, and until Shrek, we were actually careful with our cartoons. And so, I mean, up to this point, but what did he make man out of? Excuse me, what did he make man out of? Dust. He made man out of dust? A fun? Fun means well, it, it means gray. It means powder. Wherever this place was that man was made, there was gray powder. There was dust. And when you think of a place where dust is, do you think, wow, there's this beautiful tropical garden and, and the kookaburrs and everything. And God's like, oh, hey, cool, look, a pile of dust. Is that what you think? Think about what it takes to make a man out of dust. You have to have a fine place. This is going to sound really weird, but it has to be a place dusty, which means probably was either something a bit arid or dry, or it was my bedroom because it's full of dust. <laughs> no. 
we open up the window, it's like two seconds and the whole thing is covered. I don't know what it is. But um, here's the point. So here's man, he's been made. God breathes life into him. He opens and goes, no, whoever you are, you gave me life, right? But then we read, according to verse 8, God made this garden. Now, okay, so you can see him going, all right, okay, come on, come on up. Now, wait here. No, hold on, not yet, not yet. No. Wait for this. Huh. <laughs> okay, now, he makes, which means, if we read verses 7 and 8 correctly, what that means is, man was aware or watching God make the garden. Think about this. This is your second thing to process. Watch me make this. And you know what it tells us? Look what it says. He made the tr- every tree grow that was pleasant to the sight and good for food. And what does it mean that it's pleasant to the sight? It was beautiful. So here you are, you're now living, and you're going, wow, you gave me life. And he goes, yeah, check this out. What'd you think? And you're like, wow, it's beautiful. You're like, mm-hmm. And the second thing this man has to process is, you make beautiful things. Now, he can't even see himself. But everything he watches God make in front of him is going to be beautiful. Hey, if God makes beautiful things, where do you fit into this? Now, he makes this beautiful garden. And it's not just beautiful, but it tells us it's good for food. Now, that's a little interesting, because notice what it says in verse 8 with me. It says, The Lord God planted a garden in the eastward in Chaden. Ooh, don't miss this. And there he put the man whom he had formed. So he saw this beautiful thing, and then he's like, Whoosh. So you watch him make it, and then he's like, It's beautiful, huh? And then he puts you in the middle of it. Now, if he was God the way some of us think of God, he'd be like, you know what? If you work hard enough, and you don't sin, and you look good at it, and you pray, woo, you pray so that people are like, woo, that man pray. And I'm telling you what, don't go near anything that smells bad, and anything that's kind of, you just keep yourself perfect and pure. Every moment we can take another inch, another inch. And maybe someday you can get there. Isn't that how we think of God? God made this place, and he's like, do you like it? Mm-hmm. He's like, yeah, it's beautiful. And he goes, cool. And he puts him in the middle of it, and you think, oh, you put me in a beautiful place. This morning, walking here, I was a bit distracted for whatever reason on the bus. I should have gotten off near Chalk Farm. I was just praying some situations in my heart, just praying heavy for All of a sudden, it's sort of like I open my eyes, and I'm like down near Mornington Crescent. I'm like, whoa, we're a little past where I wanted to go. Ah, good day for a walk. And I, I started walking. And as I started to walk, I'm hearing these birds sing. And I'm watching all of these blossoms fall before me. And I think, you know what? To be honest, England's a beautiful place. I mean, the land itself is a beautiful land. It is a very, very blessed land. And I look at this and I think, God, you've made this so beautiful. What would this be like if, if man were actually the way you intended But it gets beyond all of that. So he puts him in the garden that he had made. And then it says, and then he made the Lord out of the ground, the Lord God. Notice the term. That's the only term we're going to read now is Lord God, not God anymore. Made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. Okay, now, pleasant to the sight. We got that. That's beautiful. And he's making it grow. And it grows. You're like, what do you think? And you're like, oh, that's cool. That's beautiful. And then God has to do this. You ready? He goes, try some. And you think, what does that mean? Try, try some. It's like, well, we'll eat, we'll eat some. And you're like, well, what does that mean? 
was it? Is there something spiritual about eating? Uh-huh. Anyways, you can see my weakness. All right. Um, but in all of this, God's like, well, we'll eat something. And you're like, well, what does that mean? And he's like, well, put it in your mouth. That's that thing. Okay. Now imagine, you don't even know you have taste buds. You haven't, they've never been active. And so you grab something, he hands it to you. Now think about it. This is the first time you've grabbed something in front of God. Because that's going to happen later in front of someone else, and it's not going to be, it's going to be the opposite. Here, he's going to grab this thing. Now, I, personally, I favor, I am a big fruit fan, especially things that are sort of citrus, like peaches or whatever. So I'm, I can imagine myself grabbing a peach and biting into it, and my, all of my taste buds cramp. And I'm like, oh, this is great. Oh, God didn't have to do that. What kind of God is this? He didn't have to invent eyesight and then put color in it, but he did. He didn't have to invent your nose and then invent these amazing smells that are around us, but he did. He didn't have to invent your ears and then invent song, but he did. He didn't have to invent your mouth and invent Thai food, but he did. (laughs) And we'll talk about the tree of tofu next week. Uh, Sorry. That was actually one of my children that said, you know, Dad, I think maybe the tree, the knowledge of good and evil was tofu. Anyways. Uh, all right, well, back to, back to the point of good doctrine. Here it is. And all of us said, now think about this. This is the day that God is resting? Is that this day? It's like, I decided, you know what? And I started to realize this is the second reason why we rest. Because we just want to be with someone. And you, you're done doing and you just want to be now, if that makes sense. Because if you're just doing, 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 you really don't ever get to be anymore with them. And you ticked off enough boxes and you've got all your stuff done. But there's this point, and to be honest, as weird as it is, sometimes my kids and I, one of the things we do are watch movies, and I know that's a kind of a goofy, idle thing, but there's just something about just sitting there with them and laughing and we have nothing we have to do. There's no, well, you know, the only time constraint is that sooner or later this will be done. And then we'll eat something more than likely. And then I realize that there's sometimes there's just something about just being. I mean, as an American, I can tell you, so much of life is about just ticking the boxes. That's why we have fast food. Even eating, which can be so fun, is actually something that's like, just got it done, man. I shoved it in my mouth and boom, it was bite-sized pieces. We're done. Let's move on. I could finish before we're out of the drive-thru. But it's like, check my box, you know. But what did that do? You know? Everything. And all of a sudden you realize, and God's like, could we just rest together, hang out a little bit? Because you've got a lot to learn. And here it is. I gave you life. I make beautiful things, you included. And I'm putting you in the middle of all this beauty for you to enjoy it. I'd like you to, to take a look at this. You thought it was beautiful. You tried it and you're like, that was good, huh? But it didn't say he made one tree grow, does it? It says he made many trees grow. He's, he made the, the trees grow. So you get one, then he's like, all right, well, come on over this way. Come on, come on, come on. Okay. What do you think? Pretty good, huh? Mm-hmm. We'll try some. You know, he tries it. And all of a sudden, it's, it's number two. And all of a sudden, number two. And he's like, well, what do you think? And he's like, oh, this is good, too. <laughs> That one? Let's try number three. And off of here, okay. Now, do you realize what God's doing at this moment? You may not get it, but God is doing on-the-job training. <laughs> this is it? So, okay, okay, well. Now, how soon before he gets the routine? 
You know, and all of a sudden it's a watermelon. He's a all this blood dripping off his face. Let's get over. And all of a sudden, this is his relationship. This is it. You make beautiful. You gave me life. You make beautiful things. I get to be part of that, and I get to enjoy this beautiful place. Well, here's the strangest part. If you think that's all made up, the word cheden, Eden, that this is made in, the word cheden is used today as hedonistic. The word cheden means pleasure. That's what the word means. Eden means pleasure. The problem is, we think pleasure, the world has already tweaked that word. There's some of us that almost feel dirty thinking the word pleasure. But this was the garden of pleasure. And he's like, so what do you think? And you're like, this is pleasure. I get to hang out with you, and everywhere you lead me is beautiful. I get to explore the wonders of this place, and every time I explore the wonders of it, it's beautiful, and I get to eat, and this is good. And well, he says, well, and by the way, there are these four rivers. There's four rivers. And stay right there for just a moment. And it says, there were four rivers, notice next. And they went out of Eden, out of this pleasure, to water the garden there so that all these beautiful things could happen. And they have these names. Pishon is the first. Notice that in verse 11. The name of the first is Pishon. Pishon means to increase. Notice that every one of them will hint at the idea of being fruitful. And I remind you, God blessed this day so that he could rest on this day so we could be fruitful. And now we have this place called Pishon. Pishon means fruitful. And it tells us there. And then one that starts in the whole land of Chavilah. Chavilah, by the way, means to be encircled and are to be surrounded. And there's gold. And the gold there is good. And I think gold. Who needs gold at a moment like this? Obviously, that's going to be for another time. Delam, onyx stones are there. The name of And by the way, it'll be interesting because we'll see those stones later on played out in some very, very meaningful ways um, in regards to the, the chief priest, the high priest, and even heaven itself. And the name of the second river is, oh, by the way, say this with me if you would, Gihon, which means to burst, for, burst forth. Of course, the Gihon spring we'll find today, as far as one called Gihon in Israel, um, that's where Hezekiah would actually go to build a tunnel to get the Gihon spring. It is one of the things that goes around the land of Cush, which, by the way, at least in those days, would mean it heads down into Africa. The name of the third is Hedekal. So you would say Hedekal. Hedekal, by the way, which means to be swift, or for that matter, to have something to bring about something quickly. So it goes around the area of Syria, and then the last is Euphrates. Would you say Euphrates? Or you would say Euphrates, but Euphrates, and it means fruitfulness. So I have these places that mean increase, bursting forth, swift to come about, and then fruitfulness. You kind of get an idea of what God's playing out in all this? And then we read verse 15. And the Lord God put man in the garden to tend and to keep it. Do you know what that means? Man has a purpose. Now, ladies, listen up. You ain't on the scene yet. He's going to get a wife. But before he gets a wife... Man knows what God has called him to. Man has a calling already. Because the position you're going to be put in, it would be really good to have a guy that kind of knows what he's doing, at least going somewhere, because you're going to be helping him, and it really is good to help a guy doing something he's supposed to be doing. Does that make a little sense? I put him in the garden, and he goes, Now look it. I'm going to give you some responsibility now. We don't even know how long this is, do we? We don't read, and then it was a day and a night, or an evening and a morning. We just read somewhere, and Albany looks and goes, this is what I want you to do. I want you to avad, and I want you to smar. And you're going, good, okay, great. <laughs> avad, the word for to work it, to tend it, 
And its simplest sense means to spend your energy there. Okay, I get that. So wait a minute, spend my energy. You go, okay, look it. You ready? I'm going to give you some energy. Spend it. And you think, well what, did, well, what did I do before this point? Wouldn't you just do what you knew? Well, what did I know? I knew, I know, I knew this. <laughs> I knew this. <laughs> this, I did this. Wow, he's fine. This was what God said? Spend your energy exploring the wonder of the garden with me. And enjoying it with me. I think, Wow. That's my relationship with this Creator, this Lord God. Explore the wonders of this garden. And then, but there's another thing. I want you to shema of it as well. Shema means protect. Now, if, if we have anything in our mind that says, huh, um, protect. From, from what? Wouldn't you go there? Notice the next verse. The next verse says, But on the tree, but the tree, of the, it says, Look, God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree in the garden you may freely eat. By the way, all these places we've gone, be my guest. You can eat of any tree. But the tree of the knowledge of good and evil don't eat. Because on the day that you eat of it, Mut to mut, you'll die and you'll die. No, don't miss this. I want you to protect this place. From what? Well, don't eat that tree, because on the day you eat of it, you'll die. What is he guarding the garden from? From death. Death is one bite away. Death is not a nibble, a big meal, a lifestyle, and then death. Death is one disobedient bite away. And God says... Have we not had fun today? Have we not explored together? Has not everything been beautiful? Has not everything been good food? Have we not had a delightful time? What if we spent the rest of eternity like this? What if everything from this point on was this? So I need you to protect it. I'm going to actually give you the responsibility to protect it in this place. And you'd say, well, what kind of God would even give him a choice? One that actually lets the man love him. Because you can't love God without a choice to. It's like, look at it. Now that I've given you all this and I've given you a will, you can choose to spend the rest of eternity doing this with me. Or you can do elsewise. Are you with me so far? Okay, go ahead and have a seat, bro. Thanks. Because now everything hits our point. Then notice the next verse. And then it says in verse 18, Then God said, The Lord God said, It's not good. It's not good. Wait a minute. Everything that I've had problems with in chapter 1 revolved around it not being good. Didn't name heaven the place where he was going to live as good, though everything else was. By the end of the chapter 1, after man was made, he would call the whole thing very good. Something between that point and here is going to make Everything very good. And somehow in between all of that came a man, and now he looks and he says, hey, and he's having another board meeting. Another board meeting. The last board meeting was when, man, when God said, let's make man in our image. Now he's the second one, and here it is. Don't miss this. It's not good. What's not good? 
Not man. It isn't looking good. Oh, it's not good. That man thing, he's not good. That's not what he says. Or, oops, some angels fell. Now we got some problems around here. There's going to be a serpent coming around town. That's not what it says. It says, it's not good that man should be alone. Don't miss this. Please don't miss this. Because everything now gets answered. Miss, don't miss this. My last board meeting that I read in chapter 1, I believe it's 26, it says, God says, let's make man in our image and our likeness. You got that, right? So that something unique about man will give us something unique about God. And then God looks at man and he says, something's not good here. He's alone. Did you get it? Something unique about man tells me something unique about God. It's not good you being alone. Why does God make man with an ability to loneliness? With a capacity for companionship? Because he has a capacity for companionship. Because he doesn't want to be alone. And he didn't make man so that he could just observe him from a distance and see him squirm the whole thing out like a rat chasing after cheese. I don't want to be alone. I need you to be with me. That's the whole point of this whole book. Is this verse. It's not about being man just, yeah, I give you a choice. It's like, I just don't want to be alone. And God could have made just a bunch of things that bowed down every time he walked by without a choice. But I want something that would actually hear me out. I would I'd really like somebody that would want that would want me. That would really say, you know what, to be honest, I'd have lots of choices. I'd still I'd still choose you. I I I really want you. It isn't like I'm forcing it because I have some sense of need. If, you, if you're not there, I won't get provided for. I'm going to have to make this whole thing out on my own. And It's like, look, to be honest, I, I really just want, I want you. And God's like, I want to be wanted. Now, if that makes you feel like God's a little kind of empty, forgive me. Because it makes, it makes it my whole universe all of a sudden. So I realize you didn't make me for your entertainment. You made me to be with you. And I start realizing that nothing is more important to God than my relationship with Him. Nothing. Because everything else revolves around He didn't make me so I could just accomplish great things on earth, leave some cool tombstone, get a monument named after me, and maybe even some cool plaque somewhere. God says, look, I made you to be with me because we're going to spend the rest of eternity together. Jesus didn't die to send you to heaven. Jesus died to be with you. Heaven's a product of that. Everything's about being with you. And, and we're so messed up is that when I'm asking for God's will, everything seems to reflect about how I benefit, how this whole universe revolves around me now, and God, is your will this or this? Because I want to make sure that whatever it is blesses me the most. And God says, my whole will surrounds the point of being with you. And if you're going to pick one thing over the other, it's a red shirt or blue shirt day, and that's where your fundamental idea is, but you don't care about our relationship, you've missed the whole point of my will in the first place. I want to be with you. I created you to be with me, and I'm going to make you feel lonely long enough so you realize this is the way I feel when you're not with me. You're running from me. So, 
Let's wrap this up with this beautiful creature that God's going to create. By the way, what came first again, the man or the garden? Man, thank you. What came first, the man or the garden? What came first, the garden or the woman? The garden. Thank you. Now we're actually getting our doctrine from, from the text. But wait a minute. If God put man in the garden to spend his energy there, and to explore its wonders, to delight in it and enjoy it. And woman was made in the garden. Was she part of the garden? Yes, yeah. yeah, she sure was. Thank you. Which means that guess what? One of the most beautiful things about a wife is God says, now guess what I want you to do with her? I want you to explore the wonders that I've placed within her. Explore and delight. And then I want you to protect her. From what? From Death, that's what I want you to protect her from. Because that's the one thing Adam will not be protecting his wife from by the time we're done here. Okay, so, out of the ground. And here's a little humor from God, by the way. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to him to see what Adam would name them. And Adam called each one by name. Now, name, the word Shem, like I talked about. Now, if we live in a scientific world, it almost makes it sound like what Adam was doing was naming spice, was spice, <laughs> naming phyla and species. But, but that's because we've been so tweaked by a Greek world. To be honest, what we have here, think about it from a normal world, the, without it, what I would get without any sort of previous preconception is that God put something before him and he named it. Called it, and it says, and whatever its name was, that's what he called that specific animal that was its name, which makes this guy a shepherd. I mean, I started to think originally when I... I mean, don't you? You kind of read it when it's sort of like God says, well, what do you think of this thing? And he's like, what do you want to call it? And God's there with a clipboard. And he's like, aardvark. Okay. With two A's. Okay, two A's, you know? I mean, is there somebody who's like naming it? I want to call this thing, you know, Flufficus Monicus. Okay, well, there you go. But what if it's like he actually is like, he makes something. He's like, what do you think of this? And he's like, well, I'm going to call it Smelly. Smelly it is. I'm going to call this one Bob. All right. Hey, Bob. Now, not, not, not every creature that looks like this is going to be called Bob. That one's called Bob. Come on, Bob. I started to think, well, what kind of a funny little funky thing is going on here? But think of the humor, because it appears as if Adam is aware of this. And so here's Adam again. It's like, hey, look, it's not good that he should be alone. Let's make him a helper. A helper? Well, wait a minute. What is she supposed to help him do? Explore the wonders of the garden and protect it. Isn't that what he told her to do? Or him to do? If God laid that before him and said, God, I want you to explore the wonders of the garden, spend your energy there, and then protect it. And he says, let's make a helper. What's the helper supposed to do? Help him do what God called him to. And what is that? Explore the wonders of the garden and protect it. But here's the thing. Let's make a helper. And you could think Adam's going, wow, I am kind of feeling, I, I didn't know what this feeling was. Well, I guess we're going to, I thought I ate too much of that last fruit, but we're going to call it, loneliness, and so I got this kind of loneliness, and God says, okay, ready? What do you think? And you're like, ah, this? This is my companion? This ain't it. It's a pig, kind of like my flesh, but really not like my bones. And I go, okay, what are you going to call it? Let's call it Sowie. Okay, Sowie, off you go. Here's another one. It's an orangutan, and it's like, ah, it's kind of like my bones, but not like my skin. What do you want to call it? Let's call it Harry. There it is. Off he goes. And I start to think, you know what's really funny is I start to think about so many men and where they came from. It's like how many beasts came and brought before you before you actually got your wife. You know? Yeah, she was hairy and she was just scary and she was kind of soury. 
In the end of it all, though, I got my wife. Thank the Lord for that. I got my helper. And so you can almost see God kind of playing this whole thing out. Yeah, don't believe me. It's in text. So, Anna gave names to all the cattle. I'm going to call that one Ethel. All the birds of the air and every beast of the field. But for Adam there was found no helper comparable. So somewhere down the line, Adam comes to the conclusion, this doesn't work. That means God put a dog up here and he's like, you know what, I just can't see that being my best friend. (laughs) There you go. Nothing comparable. So God says, well, we're going to need to have our first surgery. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam and he slept. You kind of go, yeah, deep sleep fall upon you. The most natural thing to do is to sleep. God anesthetized Adam because there's surgery to be done here. And it's very methodical and very, very intentional. And he took one of his ribs, closed up the flesh in its place, and the rib in which the Lord God had taken from him, he made into a woman. And then he brought her to him. Adam didn't join eHarmony. Then write it on a rock saying, by the way, in case you know this, here's my profile. (laughs) Not trying to pick on anyone for any of that stuff. God made her and God brought her. Because you know what Adam was doing? He was doing the Lord's will when she came. I think that's important. How do I know that? Because he's naming stuff and when she shows up, you know what he's going to do? He's going to name her. Because he was at work naming stuff, and she shows up, he still is working. I love it. But now think about this. Buy her in. You've probably heard those cute little things, like, well, if you took her from the head, she'd be above him. From the foot, she'd be below him. Blah, blah, blah. Well, there's a couple things that I kind of think are really interesting. One is that she came from his bosom. I find that interesting, because there's no place in Scripture that is more intimate than the bosom. John, the disciple of Jesus, loved resting in the bosom of the Lord. How I'd long to gather you like a hen gathers the chicks into her bosom. And the whole idea of that is the whole idea of a mother nursing a child, this amazingly intimate place where the bride just kind of disappears and her husband and she's engulfed. But there's another thing that I think that's profound. If you just saw Adam at that moment and he comes to, he's like, you know what? From this hole in my side, I got my bride. And then I can't help but thinking of Jesus looking at Thomas and saying, Thomas, pull, put your hand right here. It's in the hole on my side. I got my bride. And I think how gloriously fitting before man would even fall. There's a hole in the side. The first scar in all of history is a man who finally got his bride, but it can it cost him his own. Because they say, well, it was blessed because it guards your heart. Well, that sounds sweet, but the problem is in those days, the center of your emotions wasn't your heart. That's a Greek concept. Do you know what it was in those days? It was your bowels. I know that sounds off color, but that's what it was. It's, it's splagged as your insides. I mean, imagine if God actually did that, if it was just someplace close to your emotions, you'd be like taking a cheek, you know? And he made a woman out of it. And then it'd be like the cards are like, woman, you've always been a pain in the rump since the beginning. But he took it from the one place where she could actually get engulfed. Hey, there's no place in my, uh, it sounds weird, no place on my body where my wife can go and just rest and I feel more like she's at home than there. Or my children. It's just I can just kind of hold them and I'm not smothering them, I'm not killing them. It's just a place where it's, when it's, when they feel a bit scared if things are a bit crazy, that's the place. I can just put them in, it's like everything's going to be fine now. And I think of Zephaniah 3.17 where it says, you quiet me in your love. And the idea of quieting you and your love is you're frightened and you just come on over here, just rest right here, just rest right here. 
Remember, God's making man in a way that we can watch thinking, that's what God wants. That's what God wants. God is not just looking for some blind obeisance. God wants you to be consumed in him. Isn't that what Jesus will teach us in John? Follow me as we close this. So, the Lord brought her to the man, verse 23, and he said, That's it! That's what he says. Which tells me, by the way, that he's been looking. No, not that dog. Not that dog. That's a dirty dog over there. And then he's like, you know, oof, well, you know, that gorilla is looking kind of cute or whatever, you know. That's what happens when a man gets lonely. I'm not talking that. That's really weird. But, you know, like, people compromise after a while when they start getting lonely. And they pick their own gorillas. But finally it's also like, whoa, whoa, that's it. Yes. <laughs> bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. I'm going to call it Isha. Isha means man. Because, now, I'm going to name her that. What does it tell you? He's naming stuff. He's like, I'm going to call her. I'm going to call her a part of me. That's what I'm going to call her. A part of me. And I think, Anna must have known the surgery. It wasn't like he woke up and went, whoa, something feels a little different. I'm kind of walking like this. This He knows enough that when she comes, he's like, you're... I'm going to call you part of me. That's what I'm going to call you. Now, by the way, do you read her saying anything in all this? So now this is her first moment. Her eyes open. The first thing she sees is God forming her and going, whoever you are, you made me and gave me life. And then he's like, all right, well, I've got, a, I've got something for you. And he starts bringing her. Okay, so you make... And she doesn't know he makes beautiful stuff. She hasn't watched him make a garden in front of her. Adam knows he makes beautiful stuff. And so, I made you, and you gave me life. You made me, you gave me life. You lead me. And he's like, I'd like to introduce you to someone. And all of a sudden, he's like, yes! And she's like, woohoo! What has happened? <laughs> That's a lot of information to take in. And he's like, look at You're part of me. And then there's this bizarre verse this chapter ends with. Up to this point, I got it. And it's like, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to the wife, and the two will become one flesh. And they start going, now if Adam is saying this, he must have no clue what in the world he's talking about, because there's no father or mother to leave yet. If it is Adam, he's kind of got one thing on his mind, and God didn't call it sin. With all due respect, I'm not going to get weird, but this is a marriage relationship here. It's kind of looking like, you know, or is it Moses making commentary? Ultimately, we know God wrote it. And it's written in a way so that it's like, look, at in the end of it all, man's going to have to grow up. When you're in your own house with mom and dad, you're always going to be a kid, but you're going to have to grow up and you become a man at this moment. This is the moment you become a man because you're going to lead your wife around that garden and you're going to show her the wonders that you already know that she has yet to experience. And think about it. You get to play the role that was played to you by God. Because just a while ago, God led you around and says, try this. And now it's your turn. And you're grabbing this girl and you're going, try this. Oh, you're going to, you're going to like this. And you realize he gets to play the role of God. And all of that guy goes, I made you like that so you can know what I want. Remember when we did that? Never forget that, because that's what I want. And every moment you delight in this creation that I gave you to explore with, every moment I want to delight in you for the same. So the two of them, it ends with, 
We're naked, man and his wife. Not just man and a woman, man and his wife. And they were unashamed. There was nothing to hide, no secrets, no regrets. Two people with nothing in between them. Nothing in between them. Nothing and no shame. Now I remind you, God made man so you could know something about him. Exactly. How do you how does God want you and him? Nothing between you and no shame. Well, that sounds lovely if it wasn't for our sin. That our sin brings shame, our sin brings failure, our sin brings guilt. But God would take it all and he'd hang it on his son, the one who will be able to be cut in the side to get his bride, from which blood and water will flow so that he could bring you back to this garden of pleasure and say, hey, this place is the place I want you. I want you and me here. Or there's nothing between us and no shame. No no shame. Because there's grace. There's nothing between us because there's, because there's grace. And I want to pray for us. Because if you're anything like me, I have so jacked up this concept of God. If this is really, if this is the way my relationship is supposed to start, if you're new to Christ and this is where you start, you are in the right place. But for the rest of us, we've got some serious redoing, don't we? And I want to pray for every one of us that God brings us back to this. If you've not accepted the gift of Jesus Christ, exactly what is between you and God and how does it get dealt with? Every religion's about that. There's something between you and God. How do you deal with it? And God says, let me tell you, that has to be paid for. I'm a righteous judge. I'll look on the back of your bulletin for a moment. On the back of your bulletin is a prayer. I decided this week, because I really don't want us ever to do this mindlessly, I've written a prayer, and it's a simple prayer that's a prayer of surrendering your life to Jesus. And this is what I'm going to do in the last minute. I'm just going to ask for you to read it quietly, and then in a moment I'm going to pray this prayer. I'm going to rededicate my life to the Lord, to this God, this God of Scripture. But if that's the case, and the Lord has shown you, and you agree with this, I'm going to ask you to pray along with me. This is one of those months where we actually are going to do the whole thing out loud. So I want you to read this. And if it be, and I don't even have to convict you or anything or convince you, that's the Holy Spirit's job. But if this is something you're like, you're right, this is real. This is what I need to do. And we'll do this together. So take the moment and read it. And let the Lord speak to you. If you'd like to pray along with me, pray with me right now. I'm going to pray out loud. I ask you to do the same. God in heaven, I realize I am a sinner, and that makes me guilty before you. I realize that as a righteous king, all wrong must be punished. But I also know that you created me to be with you and want me. So you took all my guilt and placed it on your only begotten Son, Jesus, who died for me to pay for all my sins 
and then rose again to offer me new life. I accept the gift of Jesus, surrendering me to you now, confessing Jesus as my Savior, ransom and Lord. I surrender my life to you. Have me. I am yours. Amen. God, I pray right now as we now depart from here, be glorified. May we explore the wonders of all that you are and you've done and you make. And may we celebrate the God who celebrates us, who created us to be with him and would do anything to be with us. So God, as you've created that packet in our heart that we could even fill with ourselves, God, remove that, that we would have the room to let you take over every bit of our life. And in that, God, we just pray you would just fill us with the joy of your presence. And I just pray for every marriage, God, that you bring them to the place where we could be like this. And God, I pray that you would, for every human being, Lord, that you would bring them to the reality that this is the God you are. And I commit this to you now, Jesus. We're yours. Have your way. Amen.